Welcome to Bible Breath, where we dig into the Word of God to catch our breath for whatever's coming next. Today, as we continue to talk about our life with God, what it's supposed to look like, why it should look like that, we're beginning a journey through each of the Ten Commandments, probably the most famous list of laws in the world. And keep in mind the context. Moses had led the Israelites out of Egypt, brought them into the wilderness, and he came down from Mount Sinai, and God spoke to them the Ten Commandments, giving them the Ten Commandments. Very famous. Can you name them in order? I'll give you 30 seconds. Go. Okay, I'm not giving you 30 seconds, but, but even if you can name all of them, your answer might be different than somebody else's answer who answered correctly. An interesting thing about the Ten Commandments is that you will often find two different ways of numbering them. And if you take the two different lists that exist of the Ten Commandments, you actually end up with 11 different commandments. And here's, here's what they are. It says, you shall have no other gods. You shall not make idols. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, workers, animals, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Why are there 11 if you combine the two lists? Because those 11 statements are all there in the Bible, in the listing of the Ten Commandments. God intended for there to be 10. The 10, the Decalogue is, uh, is what it's called in the Bible often, is listed elsewhere in Scripture. And yet there are 11 statements there in the Old Testament. Which 10 of those 11 are supposed to be the 10? Well, people disagree on that. If you look at the first two and the last two, you can see that you can group those together in ways that they have something in common. The last two both, both deal with the topic of coveting, of wanting something with your heart, that, uh, that desiring something with your heart that you shouldn't have. It just breaks it up into two different categories of coveting. If you, break, uh, if you consider the first two together, they both have to do with the same general topic of what it is to love God. You shall have no other gods and you shall not make any idols, which is forming something physical in order to represent God. And so some people bring, uh, group together the first two, and some people group together the last two. We will use the list that combines the first two, mainly because one of the best resources for teaching your family the meaning of these commandments uses that numbering. And that resource is called Luther's Small Catechism. You may or may not be familiar with Martin Luther. Martin Luther lived back in the 1400s and the 1500s. He grew up wanting, um, at one point, he decided to go into the church to be a priest. But as he was studying to be a priest, he noticed that the church was teaching some things that he was convinced were inconsistent with the Word of God. And he pushed back on that. First of all, very gently, then he really stepped up a bit once, uh, once the church dug in its heels and said, we're not going to change anything we're teaching, even if the Bible even if you think the Bible says it that way. And so that caused what is now known as the Reformation, one of the most significant events in the history of God's church in the, New, in the New Testament era. And Martin Luther went on to do a number of different things. He translated the Bible into a common language so that the common person could, could finally understand it. He, uh, he revamped how, uh, how Christians worship, making it a little bit more accessible for the average person. He also put together what he called a catechism which was a book that summarizes the different teachings in the Bible 
in a way that's simple enough to teach to other people. And he intended this to be used in people's homes. And in that book, the Catechism, known as Luther's Small Catechism, it goes, it lists the Ten Commandments and gives good biblical insight onto what do these commandments mean, pulling in passages from other places of Scripture to this place in Scripture where the commandments are listed so that we have a more complete understanding of it. And so today we're going to start by talking about the first commandment, you shall have no other gods. Now by this division, by grouping the first two together like that, this is the first of three commandments that deal with our relationship with God. And the other seven deal with our relationships with other people. Now, it's been said that if you can keep the first commandment, you don't have to worry about any of the others. <laughs> but if you break any of the other commandments, you also at the same time break the first commandment. In other words, this one is first for a reason. It is foundational in our life with God and our neighbor. And so let's get into looking at it by looking at a time when God's people created for themselves an idol and treated it as another God. We're back in the Old Testament era when Moses was leading the Israelites through the wilderness again. And Moses went up on Mount Sinai to talk with God for 40 days and 40 nights. But while Moses was up there, the people started getting impatient, thinking, oh, he's not coming back. Or he's taking too long in coming back. And so they asked Aaron, who was a priest at the time, he's like, make for us an idol so that we can have something in front of us to worship. Make it in the form of a cow or a calf and, uh, and we will worship that. And so Aaron gathered all their jewelry and he melted it down and he made a golden cow that they worshiped as another god. That was literally an idol, um, an image that had been made to represent a false god. And they worshiped it. God sent Moses down the mountain as soon as this started happening. And as Moses got down the mountain, he started hearing the, you know, singing and rejoicing and things like that. But it wasn't because everybody was so happy that God had brought them out of Egypt. It was because they were worshiping an idol with their hearts. And that wasn't good. They had violated the commandment. Let's take a moment here and define some Bible buzzwords. One is idol. Anything or anyone you love more than you love God. Anything or anyone you love more than you love God. Doesn't mean you can't love anything else. We can love our spouses. We can love our children. We can love our friends and family. We just can't love those things more than we love God. That's, that's an idol. The second Bible buzzword is idolatry, which is the act of loving anything or anyone more than you love God. And so putting that into practice in your life, that's, that's idolatry. And again, you can take any number of good things that... It's okay to love. Success, popularity, pleasure. Those are okay things to love. It's just they shouldn't be loved more than we love God. And why should we not love anything more than we love God? Well, God answers that in Isaiah 45 when he says, because there is no God apart from me. A righteous God and a Savior, there is none but me. God is righteous. No one is ever as right as him. <laughs> He's a God who saves. No one saves like him. If you put your hope in anything else to care for you, to make you happy over the long term, eventually you are going to be disappointed. It's right to worship God and love him more than anything or anyone else. And what does it look like to love God more than anything else? Well, the Bible gives us some great examples of that. You might look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, uh, they lived in a place called Babylon. And at one point, the ruler in Babylon gave the order that everybody who was there, all of his subjects, were to bow down to a statue. And they had to worship that statue. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
They didn't, even though they knew what the consequence would be. The consequence for anybody who did not bow down to that statue was that they were going to be thrown into a blazing fire where they would be consumed and burned up. And so eventually that's what happened, kind of. They were thrown into the blazing fire because they respected God. They loved God more than they loved the idol or the king or, you know, or anything like that. They were thrown in the blazing fire, but they didn't burn up and they didn't die. In fact, when the king looked inside the fire, he saw that there weren't three people there. There was, there was a fourth person who was there. It says he looked like, looked like a son of the gods. <laughs> that was the son of God, actually. Jesus. There with them, reminding them that I'll never leave you when you love me. You might also look at Abraham. Abraham is, uh, is another person that, whose life we see recorded in the Old Testament, at least parts of his life. And, and Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they wanted a child. When Abraham was 75 years old and Sarah was 65, they still hadn't had even one. But that's when God came to Abraham and said, you're not only going to have a child, but you're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Abraham was 75 years old when that happened. You would imagine that he went back to the tent and told Sarah, his wife, guess what God just told me? We're going to have a child. I know we're 75. I know you're 65, but, but anything's possible with God. And then a year went by, no kid. 10 years went by, no child. 20 years went by, no child. 24 years went by. Sarah didn't get pregnant. When Abraham was 99 years old, God came to him again and said, by this time next year, you're going to have a son. And they did. That was Isaac. And Abraham loved Isaac. He loved his son. But then one day, as Isaac had grown up a bit, God came to Abraham again with a special request. He said, Abraham, I want you to take your son that you love, take him up to a mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him. Which meant he was asking Abraham to kill his son. Now, Jesus once said that this is how we show our love for God, by following his commands. And that was a specific command that God gave to Abraham to go and kill his son. And so to not do that, to not want to follow through with that, would mean that he didn't love God. Abraham went up to that mountain with his son. He tied him up. He put him on an altar. He raised his knife to kill him, but that's when God stopped him. He said, don't do it. Now I know that you love me more than anything. That's what it looks like to love God. You might also look at Daniel, who was also in Babylon at a time. And Daniel was... He was not well liked by a lot of the other people in the, in the court of the king, and so they tried to they tried to trap him. They uh, they tricked the king into making a command that everybody had to everybody had to bow down and worship and pray to the king and and not to any other god. But they knew Daniel wouldn't follow that, and he was right. Daniel trusted in God more than he trusted in a king, and so he continued to pray to God. But Daniel was well, he was arrested, and the punishment for Failing to follow that command was that you were going to be thrown into the den of lions. And Daniel was, because he trusted God. But God shut the mouths of those lions, and Daniel was protected. And God showed Daniel, you trust in me, and I will come through for you. Well, he was arrested. And the punishment for failing to follow that command was that you were going to be thrown into the den of lions. And Daniel was, because he trusted God. But God shut the mouths of those lions. And Daniel was protected. And God showed Daniel, you trust in me, and I will come through for you. 
And now there are times in life, you know, you might hear those stories and you might think, it's like, yeah, but I trusted in God. I loved God. I feared God. I respected him more than anything. And he didn't do the same thing for me. You know, life was hard. It was painful. It was difficult. And if that's ever been the case for you, then you need to look at another place in the Bible where we see love. A really hard day, a really dark day, when life was hard for God. When God the Son was hanging on a cross and his blood was being poured out and life was dripping away from him and he did not leave, even though he could have, because he's God, he can do anything. But rather than save himself and spare himself all the pain on that cross, he chose instead to love you and to forgive you, to forgive us for the times that we have not loved him with all of our heart. And that's why we love him. That's why we look at his laws and we love them because we know that they're from a God who loves us and only has the very best in mind for us. If you go into Luther's small catechism, and if you go by the Ten Commandments, start at the First Commandment, you know, it says, First Commandment, you shall have no other gods. And then it asks, what does this mean? And then it gives a little bit of, a little explanation. Um, Martin Luther put those in that commandment because he thought that it would happen from time to time when, when moms or dads were, were reading the commandments to their kids, that the kids would ask, well, what, is, what does it mean? That we shall have no other gods. And, and for each of the commandments, he wrote on a very simple explanation to, to clarify it. And for the first commandment, he said, you shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And why? Because your God will never fail to love you as he guides you with his laws.